0: If you grew up your whole life, everything around you, you were told and you were led to believe and you believed that the story and the legends of a great treasure, of a great wealth beyond anything you could fathom in any stretch of anyone's imagination was true, actually existed, what would you do? Would you go out and search for it? Or would you take whatever caution you could take and whatever you could bring with you? Would you go out and search for it? Or would you go out by yourself? And that in and of itself makes for a very interesting story. People have always thought, and people have always searched for the treasure in a place outside of Phoenix, Arizona. And it's created many stories and many great legends of, of the search for, those, for this gold, and he's always said that there's gold in them thar hills. Or is there? In the Superstition Mountains outside of Phoenix, people have died trying to find out. In 2009, Denver bellhop Jesse Capon, obsessed with finding the lost Dutchman gold mine, took a month's vacation into the Superstition Mountains outside of Phoenix to search for that legendary treasure. It was three years before a search and rescue team located Capon's skeletal remains at the bottom of a 180-foot cliff. His fatal mistake was likely going up there alone. No matter the risks, this alleged mother motherlode lures hundreds of prospectors every year into this wilderness near Apache Junction, Arizona occasionally at the expense of their lives. German immigrant Jacob Waltz, nicknamed the Dutchman, took his secret to the grave in 1891 at around the age of 83. Lending credibility to the lore, Waltz had a remarkably high grade gold ore in a candle box under his deathbed. It was rumored he had dedicated, I I see this word and it keeps saying dedicated and it's not dedicated. He had dictated, and I don't know why I keep mistaking that word for dedicated. He had dictated to some neighbors a complicated map, but neither they nor anybody else ever found the mine. A few reasons why the Dutchman's gold hasn't been found, and some treasure seekers didn't come out alive. Magnetic rock fouls up compasses. Summers in the superstitions can be fatally hot, and winters, deadly cold. Cell phones won't work up into the higher reaches and the cliffs are treacherously steep. Well that makes perfect sense that cell phones won't work up in higher reaches. Anyone that goes up into a higher reach of anything, most likely out here in Seattle into the Cascades or the Olympics, know full darn well that cell phones don't work up in high reaches. Also I wanna quickly mention that a lot of this is from my research and my notes that I've taken and also from the Cowboys and Indians articles on Cowboys and Indians Online and from Wikipedia. I want to make sure you give them their prompts and their credits. So back to my notes and back to the articles. George Johnston, who first tried to find the treasure in the 1950s, was still working for the Superstitious Mountain Lost Dutchman Museum up until his August 30th, 2017 death at age 97. Most people don't take enough water, and they often wear slacks or shorts and flat shoes, Johnston said in a a 2016 interview. If they sprain an ankle and they're alone, they can kiss their lives goodbye. and kiss a lot more than their lives goodbye. Johnston, who grew up in New York, first heard about the lost Dutchman from a cover story in Life in 1937, when he was 16. He first visited Phoenix in the 1950s. I took my two boys on a hike into the Superstitions, hoping we could find the treasure, Jonathan recalled. After a while, my son spotted somebody watching us. Sorry, that, I, that made me jump a little there. I kept seeing a reflection behind us from something metallic, like a rifle or a pistol. I'm sure somebody was was stalking us. Folks had claims all over these mountains and would commonly fire warning shots to scare trespassers, or even now and then, murder those they thought were seeking the Dutchman's gold. Nobody went in unarmed. Though Johnston lived to tell his tales, some haven't. In the last 125 years, more than a few Dutch hunters have lost their lives looking for that fabled gold mine. This is a rugged wilderness this is a rugged wilderness area, in terrain and temperature changes, Johnston declared. Going up there in late fall wearing shorts and a storm can plunge temperatures so fast you can die of hypothermia in record amounts of time. A few years ago, three guys from Utah, whose name I wasn't able to note and couldn't locate, couldn't find, who had trekked up in the superstitions before, went looking for the Dutchman's mine in June. A storm came through one night, and they all died of hypothermia. The mountains are also full of box canyons, where it is easy to become disoriented and lost very, very quickly, and you must walk out the same way you walked in, which is easier said than done. One theory which nobody, one theory why nobody has found the mine is that Walt may have been a claim jumper who hid stolen loot up there in a dugout and made trips whenever he needed the money. But his gold was genuine. Three neighbors took the gold ore from under Walt's bed when he died, claiming he told them they could have it. Some was sold to a San Francisco mint. Some was made into a necklace and matching bracelet. Some were shipped to a jeweler and fashioned into a matchbox case that measures 4.5 meters long and 1.5 inches wide. 4.5 inches long. I don't know why I said meters. 4.5 inches long. 1.5 inches wide the matchma case was lent to its current owner or was lent by its current owner to the superstition Mountains lost Dutchman Museum to be showcased for one day in November of 2015 and the photograph of the case is now on a permanent display there to give you an idea of how rich that were that or was Johnson explained if a mine produces two and a half ounces of gold per ton of rock it's a bonanza Well, the the Dutchman's gold ore that made that matchbox case assayed out to 50 ounces per ton. Makes your jaw drop to the floor. The lost Dutchman legend also has a link to wealthy Mexican cattle ranchers of the 1800s. The Peralta family from Sonora who supposedly dug many gold treasures out of the superstitions. Their plundering ended in around 1848 or so the tale is told, when a gold run back to Mexico all but a few got massacred by Apaches. Some, of the, some say the Apaches went back to the mine and hid the gold, and the judgment either stumbled across it or did a favor for a surviving Peralta who directed him to the stash. Both allegations and actual incidents, incidences have fueled the legend over the years, none more than the Peralta stones. Found in 1949, in the Superstition foothills, a hiker tripped over a sharp, sharp piece of rock and dug up four flat stones on which were carved instructions and a crude map. The carvings included a priest holding a cross, the words Sonora, Mexico, a horse, and the words, and the words that translate to uh, a, pa- a pasture north of the river where the trail starts into the superstitions near the Salt River. Other carved messages mention dangerous canyon walls and 18 marked places to get to El Corazon. Now, I don't speak Spanish, nor do I know any little bit of it, but what I do know is El Corazon means the heart. Two stones are rough maps leading to a carved heart. The supposed treasure location centered in the heart in the supposed treasure location, centered in the heart on the map, is a date of 1847. One year before, all but a few Peraltos met their doom. Dutch hunters are convinced these stones refer to the Dutchman's mind, mine, and that the Peraltos carved them to find their way back. An expert who once examined the stones believed the carvings were made, of, or believed the carvings were made with modern tools, and are a hoax. But there's no way to prove that. Replicas and pictures of the stones remain on display at the Superstition Mountain Lost Dutchman Museum in Apache Junction. The actual stones are in the care of Greg Davis, Director of Research, Acquisitions, Libraries, and Archives for the Superstition Mountain Historical Society. They are viewable by appointment, the stones which are kept in a large room and are built onto Davis's Tempe, Arizona home. Now, that's kind of weird. If they're built into his home, it kind of makes you second-guess him a little bit. It kind of makes you raise your eyebrows or furrow your brows just a tad. The Superstition Wilderness was declared a National Wilderness Area in 1964. Then, in 1984, to discourage treasures from going in there, The federal government passed a law forbidding prospecting and digging in that area. So if you were to find the mine, you'd have to figure out a pretty good way to sneak it out under the nose of the federal government, which would obviously lay claim to it. Makes perfect sense. It's found on their property, on their land. It's rightly theirs. I totally get it. Totally, totally get it. Now... If you went and found, before you, you know, when you moved in, you went in, you were strolling around the back and you found something that looked kind of perplexing or interesting in your neighbor's lawn. It was, and it was there before you moved in. It's probably your neighbors, because it was in their lawn. Either they didn't know about it or it was in their lawn before you were there. So it's not really the whole finders, keepers, losers, weepers thing. Yet people continue to search for treasure they are convinced it's there and theirs for the taking. They are not necessarily crackpots either. Former Arizona Attorney General Bob Corbin searched for that mine off and on for 50 years. Now at the time of the article, and my note, at the time of the article that my notes here are referring to, he was in his late 80s, Corbin remains convinced that that mine is out there. Some years ago, someone found a note in a bottle floating in the Salt River. The note writer claimed he was in the superstitions and had found the Dutchman's mine, but was trapped and needed help. He gave directions, but search parties found neither the man nor the mine and concluded it was another Dutchman's hoax. Despite all the hokum and the hoaxes and even risks and dangers, Dutch hunters keep searching for what they are convinced is genuine in a gigantic pot of gold. kind of sounds like the gold at the end of the rainbow. But the whole histories and the whole documentaries, if, you ever, if you're ever, ever able to find them and read up on them, is very, very intriguing. Very, very interesting. We discourage them. We discourage them, especially between April and October, because of the intense heat. But they rarely listen. They, brought, they, they bought the maps and read all the books, and they know it all, said Johnston. Whose last search for the treasure when he was 70 and in good shape, as part of a party led by a seasoned prospector who set up trail markings and water drops along the way. Trail markings and water drops. That just seems weird. Now, I know what I was thinking earlier. You can't set up water drops, just a little droplets of water to mark your path along the way, because it's water and you're in a desert and it would evaporate. But now that I think about it, water drops probably made he just left canteens or bottles of water lying around the path so that they would know that they're bottles of water and that was the path to go. Which doesn't make sense. If someone is snooping you or someone is firing warning shots and hunting you and you, they see you leave a path, they could very easily mess around with your path and move everything out of the way so you can't find your way back. It's very, very interesting. The legend of the lost dutchman continues to kindle the fancy of countless others and who can blame them for wanting to believe that the old dutchman's gold is up there for the taking any less than we want to believe that some prehistoric monster is swimming the backstroke in Loch Ness or that Sasquatch is taking Warren jogs in northwest woods now then that is a hilarious image just picture Nessie Next, Nessie swimming around Loch Ness doing the backstroke this giant prehistoric do- probably dinosaur like monster just swimming around in <laughs> just swimming around in Loch Ness doing the backstroke or this big hairy ape like Sasquatch roaming around the, pac- specific, the Pacific Northwest out here in Seattle it's just it's, it's really it's just kind of interesting one, here, here's some stories about the mine. That it, this is going back to my notes in Wikipedia. That, again, it doesn't. It says just gives me a last name. It doesn't give me the first name here. It just says Granger. And I don't know who that's referring to, because it just says the last name. Not even close to the first name. There are, first, tales of the lost Apache gold of Dr. Thorne's mine. Second, tales about the lost Dutchman's. And third, stories of soldiers lost gold vein. The most complete version of the lost, just lost Dutchman story incorporates all three legends. Blair argued there are kernels of truth at the heart of each of these three main stories. So the popular story is often badly garbled from the actual account. Though the popular story is often garbled from the, barble, garbled from the actual account. Theories... Lo- The the lost theory about the Peralta mine most likely because of Pedro de Peralta had been the Spanish governor of New Mexico in the 1600s his family his family name of Peralta was the inspiration for a number of legends in the American Southwest James Rivas tried to assert that the Peralta family had a Spanish land grant and barony granted by the King of Spain which included a huge swath of Arizona and New Mexico including the Superstition Mountains. The Peralta Massacre is a legend is a legend that Apache supposedly ambushed the mining expedition the Peralta family sent into the mountains. Some carved stones in the area are referred to as the Peralta Stones, and Spanish texts and crude maps on them are considered by some to be clues to the location of a Peralta family gold mine in the Superstition Mountains, although others believe the stones to be be modern fates. A lack of historical records leaves uncertainty as to whether a Peralta family the Peralta family ever had possession of a land, of the land or mines in or near the superstition mountains. Blair insisted again, last name, no first name. Blair insisted that the Peralta portion of the story is unre- unreliable writing: the operation of a gold mine and the superstitions by the Peralta family is contrivance of twentieth century writers, is a contrivance of twentieth century writers. A man named Miguel Peralta and his family did operate a successful mine in the eighteen sixties, but near Valencia, California, not in Arizona. The mine was quite profitable, earning about thirty five hundred dollars in less than one year. Blair described this as an unusually go- good return for such a small mine to, search to earn in such a relatively brief period. As of 1975, ruins of the Peralta mine were standing. However, the Peralta mine eventually became unprofitable, and after the money was gone, Miguel Peralta turned to fraud. Dr. M- Dr. George M. Willing Jr. paid Peralta $20,000 for the mining rights and for an enormous swath of land, about 3 million acres in southern Arizona and New Mexico, based on a deed originally granted by the Spanish Empire in the 18th century. Trouble came after Willing learned that the deed was entirely bogus. Despite his efforts, Willing was never able to recover the money he gave to Peralta. This land grant was the basis of the James Rivas Arizona land swindle. Rivas became Willing's partner and continued to try to prove the authenticity of the land grant for years after Willing's death. Blair argued that this Peralta story, well known to Arizona residents, was eventually incorporated into the Lost Dutchman story in a severely distorted version, following the renewed interest in the Lost Dutchman's mine in the 1930s. Since James Rivas, the Baron of Arizona, was convicted of fraud when the Peralta family family genealogy and other documents to support the land grant were determined to be forgeries, it also raises questions about the original purchase of the land grant by Dr. George M. Willing Jr. Willing died in 1874 before, before there had been a thorough investigation of the documents. Or an opportunity to cross examine him on the stand as was, was later done with Revis. The tale involves the, t- the lost Dutchman story. The tale involves two German men, Jacob Walz and Jacob Weiser. However, Blair argued that there is a strong likelihood that, that never that there was never a second man named Weiser but rather that a single person named Waltz was, over the years, turned into two men as the legend of the Dutchman's mind evolved. Blair contended that the story could be, can be divided into Hawk and Dove versions, depending on whether the Germans, a German or Germans, are said to behave violently or peacefully. So depending on how the story depicts them, it depends on which way the story goes, the hawk version or the dove version, the good or the evil version. In most versions of the tale, Jacob Waltz located a rich gold mine in the superstition mountains. In many versions of the story, they rescue or help the member of the Peralta family and are rewarded by being told the location of the mind. Weiser is attacked and wounded by a marauding by marauding Apaches. But survives at least long enough to tell a man called Dr. Walker about the mine Waltz is also said to make a deathbed confession to Julia Thomas and draws a, draws or describes a crude map to the gold mine It is also said sometimes that if there was two German, Jacob Waltz and Jacob and Jacob Weiser that in an effort to keep the mind concealed and keep the mind hidden, Waltz murdered Weiser or snuck up behind Weiser and killed him. But that's also the theory. that's also the theory that in order to protect it he kinda of, he, he killed him. Blair Blair cited evidence of the historical Jacob Waltz and suggested that evidence and additional evidence supports the core elements of the story. Though Waltz claimed to have discovered, or at least heard the story of, a rich gold mine or cash. The player suggested that this core story was distorted in subsequent retellings, comparing the many variants of the Lost Dutchman story to the game of Chinese Whispers, where the original account is distorted in multiple retellings of the tale. Kind of like, kind of like the telephone game. You say something to one person, you say something to the person sitting next to you, and then you have, it pass it, have them pass it down the line, and when it gets back around the circle, it gets back around the table, it gets back to you, you see how perverted the story became. And it can be kind of funny, kind of like that. There was indeed a Jacob Waltz, who emigrated to the U.S. from Germany. The earliest documented doc- documentation of him in the U.S. is an 1848 affidavit which waltz declared himself to be about 38 years old a man called jacob waltz w-a-l-z the the jacob waltz in the story the superstition story is waltz w-a-l-t-z a A man called jacob waltz w-a-l-z was born in september 1810 in Wurttemberg, in germany w U r t t e m b e r g. Blair suggested that this Waltz could, could this Waltz could be the same Waltz who later came to be regarded as the legendary Dutchman, and that he Americanized the spelling of his family name. I get that. Now, my my last name, for example, is my last name for example has similarities to Jacob Waltz, W-A-T-Z W-A-L-T-Z and W a l z. My last name is German in origin but in my very 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 distant ancestors when they came over here or when they got immigrated here they couldn't they couldn't the Americans of the area or that time couldn't pronounce the name as it was pronounced in German so they stuck they stuck a tail on one of the letters and that's how it became to be pronounced as it is it's just it's, it's very very. so I underst- I understand the there, I understand the interesting, interesting stories and interesting spellings of names here. Waltz relocated to Arizona in the 1860s and stayed in the territory for most of the rest of his life. He pursued mining and prospecting, but seems to have had little luck. Had little luck with either. In, al- in an alternate view, which better fits the mo- the lost mine legend, is that he periodically appeared with large amounts of gold. The Sterling legend by S.D. Coo- Con- Con- Conitzer reports that Jacob Walzer stole $250,000 in gold to the U.S. Mint during the 1880s and had $1,500 when he died in 1891. There was a catastrophic flood in Phoenix in 1891, and Walzer's farm was one of the many that was devastated. Afterwards, Walt fell ill. He was rumored to have contracted pneumonia during the flooding. He died on October 25th, na- 1891, after having been nursed by an, by an acquaintance named Julia Thomas, who it is said he disclosed the evidence and a map and a story of where the lost Dutchman mine was found. Walt was buried in Phoenix at what is now called the Pioneer and military which is now called the Pioneer and Military Memorial Park. Blair had little doubt that Waltz related to Thomas the location of an alleged gold mine. As early as September 1st, 1892, the Arizona Enterprise was reporting on the efforts of Thomas and several others to locate the lost mine whose location was told to her by Waltz. After this was unsuccessful, Thomas and her partners were reported to be selling maps to the mine for seven dollars each. Maps to the mine they couldn't find. Maps to the mine that she attested was given to her in a map by the man who found the mine. So she has a map that was given to her by the man who found the mine and she's unable to find it. So it kind of brings into question legitimacy of the maps that other people are getting it kind of just just more stuff that makes you raise your eyebrow now I don't doubt the validity of this campaign of these of the mine. I don't doubt whether this exists or if it could exist but I'm not about to go into the superstitions and look for it i it given everything I've read and seen in in documentaries and my studies and my research and everything I've seen, I'm not going anywhere near the superstitions. Unless on an outskirts, just on the outskirts, where it's safe to just marvel at the way it, that beautiful it looks. I'm not going in there. Were it not for the death of amateur explorer, of an amateur explorer and treasure hunter, Adolf Ruth, the story of the Lost Dutchman's Mine would probably have been a little more than a footnote in Arizona history as one of the hundreds of lost miners, mines, rumored to be the American, in the American West. Lost my place here. In, 19, in June, 1931, Ruth set out to locate the lost Peralta mine. After traveling to the region, Ruth stayed several days at the ranch of Tex Barkley to outfit his exp- expedition. Barclay repeatedly urged Ruth to abandon his search for the mine because of the terrain of the Superstition Mountains, was treacherous even for his experienced outdoorsmen, let alone for the 66-year-old Ruth in the heat of an Arizona summer. However, Ruth ignored Barclay's advice and set out for a two-week stint in the mountains. Ruth did not return as scheduled and planned and thought. No trace of him could be found after a brief search. In December 1931, the Arizona Republic reported on the recent discovery of a human skull in the Superstition Mountains. To determine if the skull was Ruth, Ruth's, it was examined by a doctor doctor and a well respected anthropologist, who was given several photos of Ruth, along with Ruth's dental records. As Kurt Gentry wrote, The doctor positively identified the skull as that of Adolph Ruth. He further stated, after examining the two holes in the skull, that it appeared that a shotgun or high-powered rifle had been fired through the head at almost point-blank range, making a small hole where the bullet entered and a large hole where it exited. Common studies, which I may do a later episode on, on the study of ballistics will tell you the legitimacy of that, and the legitimacy of that story. Tantalizingly, Ruth's checkbook was also recovered and proved to contain a note written by Ruth, wherein he claimed to have discovered the mine and gave detailed directions. Ruth ended his note with the phrase, Vene Vidi Vici. Authorities in Arizona did not convene a criminal inquest regarding Ruth's death. They argued that Ruth had probably succumbed to the thirst or succumbed to thirst or heart disease, I lost my place again, though, as Gentry wrote, one official went so far as to suggest that Adolf Ruth might have committed suicide. While this theory did not ignore the two bullet holes in the skull, it did fail to explain how Ruth had managed to remove and bury the empty shell, then reload his gun after shooting himself through the head. Blair noted that the conclusion of the Arizona authorities, were, was rejected by many, including Ruth's family, and those who held on to the more romantic Murdered for the Map story. All this is extremely interesting, and there's many, many more stories, and there's many, many more tales, and many, more, many, many more legends of what had happened in the Superstition Mountains, the legends of the search for the lost Dutchman's mine, It is a great thing to get into and really, really, really cool and really awesome to get into and listen to. It's just so cool. So thank you all so much for listening and sticking with me for this. And stick around for a little bit more. There's going to be a little bit more in the end here. Thank you so much for listening. Hey guys, check out the best cruising podcast and YouTube channel for everything cruising needed, everything cruise, cruising enjoyed, everything you love about cruising. They're experts, they know their stuff, and they're beyond awesome. You'll love the podcast, you'll love their YouTube channel. They're the best cruising podcast out there. Check out Fintastic Cruising on the podcast on your favorite podcast devices and favorite podcast programs and also check out fantastic studios on youtube they are beyond great give and matt and Kimbra a follow give them a five star review on apple Podcasts and every other podcast you choose they are beyond awesome and you won't be disappointed you won't be upset in any way shape or form to go to Vegas, visit the best places all around the Strip and all around downtown, all around the surrounding areas, check out the best vlogs for Vegas anywhere on YouTube at Brar Frederick over on YouTube. B-R-O-R Frederick. F-R-E-D-R-I-K over on YouTube. Go over to Brar Frederick. Subscribe to his channel. Click that bell icon. Click that those those like those like up thumbs give give bra a follow give bra a look you'll really love what you're seeing he's an awesome streamer the best Vegas streamer and the best thing to watch while you're in Vegas before you go to Vegas just to experience Vegas as a whole Please join me in supporting and giving to the Pride Foundation and the Trevor Project. When you donate to the Pride Foundation, you join thousands of supporters building a better, safer, more equitable world for LGBTQIA people and their families. Every gift, whether $1 or $1,000, makes an impact for real people and ripples outward into our communities. There are many different ways to join and help the fight. Also go on to their websites for the Pride Foundation and the Trevor Project and donate and help in any way possible. The Trevor Project offers support and help for LGBTQIA youth all over the country and all over the world. Please show them some love and give them some support.